0: Terrific! Thanks, and thanks to uh, everyone who's taking time out today to to be with us to to talk about some of these some of these issues. And uh, I will um, preface my re- remarks in two ways. Uh, one is to say that um, that definitions of anti-Semitism are intrinsically difficult and um, fraught with uh, with with complexity and i'm sure that uh, many of you as as i certainly do have a a shelf full of books on the subject that's uh, a mile long so i can't um i can't recapitulate the entire history of scholarship regarding antisemitism or or um, it wouldn't really be profitable for, for any of us and i should also say that uh, these kinds of definitions these kinds of subjects rather are um, not going to satisfy, not going to satisfy any anyone or or everyone, and that's I think especially the case today when we deal with some of the real world impacts of of trying to define something that is so uh, mercurial, so um, essentially uh, difficult to define because it it, it is. In a sense of uh, without without a kind of essence, um, I don't mean to be uh, I don't mean to be vague or perplexing here, but let's get down to let's get down to uh, to cases then, uh, and because it uh, the the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition of anti-Semitism, which came out a number of years ago, has become a uh, on the one hand, a touchstone for uh, public and more importantly institutional understanding of antisemitism, offering a series of guidelines um, that are not firm necessarily, that are not fixed, and that's why it's called the working definition of antisemitism. And it has a number. Of, it, it has, for one thing, the the, the virtue of being fairly brief as the examples that I'll touch on later do not. Um, but it, it uh, covers in a series of of bullets, um, some of the obvious and less obvious aspects of anti-Semitism, um, making mendacious, and here I quote, mendacious dehumanizing, demonizing, or stereotypical allegations about Jews or um, accusing Jews of, as a people of being responsible for real or imagined wrongdoing committed by a single Jewish person or group, and and so on. And some of these things are not, in a sense, terribly controversial in the 21st century. Let's say, using the symbols and images associated with classic antisemitism, e.g. claims of Jews killing Jesus or blood libel, um, to characterize Israel or Israelis. But not surprisingly, it's really the, the, the issues or the the examples that touch on Israel that have become um, so, uh, so explosive. And one of the reasons is because this definition has, as I said, uh, achieved a certain kind of institutional purchase around the around the world. A number of governments have endorsed the, uh, the definition. The, uh, a large number of institutions, in particular educational institutions, um, uh, colleges and universities have endorsed the, uh, the definition. The Trump administration endorsed the definition. But what this, what this means, I think to, to endorse is, is more, um, difficult to to define critics of the definition and critics in in general from the BDS movement and and elsewhere free speech purists and and others have claimed that the definition uh, is is a form of of constraint on free speech is a form of uh, prior prior uh, restraint, and that it uh, it limits. And moreover, because it, it's adopted by institutions, it 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 threatens um, consequences for expression. Now, it should be pointed out that in no case do institutions who have adopted or endorsed this definition. Um, used it as the sole uh indicator or or criteria, set of criteria, for evaluating what is or is not anti-Semitic speech or behavior. In all cases, um, it is it is used exactly as it is intended, as a as a guideline to inform rather than to um act as a serious list of boxes for people to check off moreover i'm not actually aware of any case where an institution like a college or university or a football league in britain um, has cited the ira definition of antisemitism as uh when when bringing a case so to speak when criticizing um speech when trying to stop an uh, uh, an event or speaker or or something that is to say i don't know that it actually works that anybody has actually used it in 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 a in an institutional setting now that um that said because it 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 has institutional backing around the world and uh within American and uh, British educational institutions in particular, uh, pushback was, was inevitable. And some of it has a kind of uh, rational, shall we say, if uh, in a sense, limited uh, basis, let's say, if you're a free speech purist of a certain, uh, of a certain stripe. One could object to any guidelines or listing or any sort of, uh, you know, discussion of what is and is in is not anti-Semitic. That is, say, free speech shouldn't speech should not be characterized um, a priori. But the fact of the matter is also that uh, this is not the basis of of the vast majority of complaints. And the complaints have uh, have come, not surprisingly, from first British and now US and and also Israeli academics um, and students. And of course, from the BDS movement itself. And the thing we've seen in the last two or so months is the is the issuance of two specific alternatives to the ir definition um, formulated and and issued on the as as substitutes or as com not as complements so much but as as substitutes and as always with these as always with anything it, it's always, it's useful it's necessary to, uh, to put it bluntly to follow the money so we have two, we have two uh, declarations. And these things I'm, I'm afraid always have rather pretentious kinds of titles. Uh, one is called the, the Nexus document, uh, which was issued by a, a working group or a group at the uh, University of Southern California's Annenberg School. Why it was issued by this particular institution is not entirely clear to me, except that there is a kind of tradition at uh, at USC of becoming involved in in certain public policy issues, particularly related to the Arab-Israeli conflict. And this has been signed by a number of academics, in particular Jewish academics, (coughs) trying to lend specificity And it comes out of, uh, and I'll be very specific myself, the Knight Program on Media and Religion at the Annenberg School of Communication and Journalism at USC. So we can take that for what it's worth. The Jerusalem Declaration, which came out shortly shortly thereafter, is called the Jerusalem Declaration on Antisemitism. And this is, I think, altogether more more interesting, because if you go to their website, you won't find out what institution is, is backing it. Uh, A little bit of digging reveals that the Van Leer Institute in Jerusalem is the is the base for this. And that, I think, as interestingly, as importantly, that the website was actually registered back in July of 2020. That this is a long time coming. And that the timing of both of these declarations um documents what what whatever is is no coincidence that it's at the beginning of twenty twenty one that they were timed to coincide either with the second trump administration or with a biden administration um i I personally don't really believe in coincidences and that might just be by my suspicious mind at work. Um, but <clears throat> there's always an institutional basis for these kinds of um, undertakings. So uh, I and I don't want to belabor this because I want to look a little bit at at the, the language and um, there have been some, and I'll point out here that there are a couple of very good analyses of both of these documents. One just appeared this morning uh, in Fathom and it's written by Carrie Nelson, with whom uh, many of us are familiar, former head of uh, the American Association of University Professors. And it's a very good uh, analysis of the language and and, uh, concerns of this, of both of these documents, as well as a third, which is a statement that came out in November last year, November 2020, by Um, Palestinian and Arab intellectuals, which is frankly less interesting because it's a rather more predictable and um, makes this particular document makes a number of misrepresentations of what IRA is. And um, I think that it's, it's, it it will have less, it will have less uh, impact for, for a variety of reasons. It's also not really become part of the the, the public discourse in the same way. And um, I would also point out that there's a very nice uh, analysis uh, at a website called thirdnarrative.org of all three of these definitions. And it's it's a point by point kind of comparison. So just, and again, briefly, uh, the IRA definition basically defines anti-Semitism as a certain perception of Jews, which may be expressed as hatred towards Jews. Um, The the other two are are much longer. Uh, Jerusalem Declaration calls anti-Semitism discrimination, prejudice, hostility, or violence against Jews as Jews or Jewish institutions as Jewish. And this gives, I think, a a sense of where, (laughs) where both of these alternative discussions are going in terms of, of ladling out clause after clause of, of um, clarifications and contingencies uh, and, and so on that make them, if nothing else, very much, very much longer. But the crux of the matter is, uh, <clears throat> can criticism of Israel or Zionism be anti-Semitic? <coughs> Excuse me. The IRE definition makes that makes that very clear. Uh, the the nexus document says that as an embodiment of collective Jewish organization in action, Israel can be a target of anti-Semitism and anti-Semitic behavior, whereas the Jerusalem uh, Declaration says uh, it that it, it does not wish to suggest, quote, that anti-Zionism is never anti-Semitic. So we have already these kinds of uh, dis- I wouldn't say distortions. It's it's a uh, kind of contingencies, and um, so and then through a series of um, fifteen clauses, the Jerusalem Declaration gets into various examples of holding Jews responsible for collect, uh, collectively for Israel's conduct or treating Jews, simply because they're Jewish as agents of Israel. Um, that is on the face anti Semitic um, supporting the Palestinian demand for justice and the full grant of their political, national, civil and human rights as encapsulated in international law. That's not anti Semitic. Now, uh, but this this is another illustration of, of the problem, as I see it, and as other people see it with the Jerusalem Declaration. If we take this, this uh, statement about Palestinian demands for justice and full grant of their political, national, civil and human rights <clears throat> at its face value, if we take the Palestinian case uh, uh, as they express it literally, then that is calls for the dismantlement of Israel completely. So what are we to what are we to make of that? What is not anti-Semitic according to the Jerusalem Declaration is criticizing or opposing Zionism as a form of nationalism or arguing for a variety of constitutional arrangements for Jews and Palestinians in the area between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean. And it actually goes on to say it is not anti-semitic to support arrangements that accord a full equality to all inhabitants and here they add their own quotes between the river and the sea so this um, this explicitly again endorses calls or or does not deem as anti-semitic in a kind of reverse backwards um principle um it doesn't deem calls for the dismantlement of, of israel as Anti-Semitic, nor is evidence-based criticism of Israel as a state. This this is another meaningless kind of uh, it's particularly meaningless uh, condition, because all claims claim to be based on evidence. Um, the BDS movement is um, not in and of themselves in the Israeli case, uh, calls for boycott divestment sanctions are not in and of themselves, anti Semitic. So this kind of in and of themselves, weasel, uh, weasel conditionality is is also very typical. So I, I, I encourage everybody to go and look at these documents, uh, yourselves and and to judge for yourselves, it takes a little time. Uh, and it's in and of itself, it's a useful it's useful exercise. And having said that, uh, I think we can we can sort of circle back to to the beginning and and uh, the IRA definition. And, and well, let me stay on this on these two for, for one for one minute. I don't I don't really wish to make accusations of bad faith against um, the people involved with this. And you can look at the names and judge for yourself. And there are dozens and dozens of uh, Jewish academics in particular. But I think Jewish academics in particular have an obligation to look very carefully to see how their uh, names and reputations as Jewish academics are being are going to be used and also um what other intellectuals and academics they are signing on to uh in endorsement of this document and I'll just mention um the the name Richard Falk of Princeton University um who basically hates Israel with with all his all his might who signed the Jerusalem um, document and um, I don't know about anybody else, but uh, for, as a matter of self-respect, I would never sign anything that he would—he would get near with a ten-foot pole. <clears throat> so we have Jewish academics um, endorsing these alternatives, and it hasn't had a lot of traction yet institutionally. And I don't—I don't know yet what traction. It, it's going to have, but let me circle back then to the, to the IRA definition, which is the gold standard or something, um, and, and look very briefly as I finish up here uh, at, at some of the real world applications. And one of the tactics, uh, it, it, the IRA definition is being proposed in student governments and, by, uh, and universities all, all across the US and, um, in its, and in Britain, and there's been a lot of pushback. So how how do universities and student governments deal with this? So in the last two weeks or so, we've had, um, just yesterday, uh, City University of New York, students had proposed um, in the student government um, adopting the IR definition. The SJP group proposed its own um, definition as an alternative, which basically said you can't um, you can't quash any of our language and call it anti-Semitic because we feel strongly about this. So the student government decided to just drop the whole thing and and move on at uh, the University of Iowa. There was a big, a big uh, controversy, a big controversy uh, uh, over this definition because there are one or two anti-Semitic incidents at the university. Somebody proposed the Ira definition. This made student certain students feel unsafe, and so after much back and forth, the uh, they adopted an anti-Semitism definition based on Ira, but they took out the Israel-related clauses. And they also chose, at the University of Iowa, to create a Jewish senator position in the student government uh, alongside their LGBTQ student senator, along with their, uh, you know, Pacific Islander representative student government. So every ethnic minority gets a gets a student senator. Now on in this um, august body. Um, At University of Pennsylvania, an IRA based death resolution was rejected. At uh, Michigan State, Uh, Jewish students proposed an IRA uh, based resolution. It was adopted, they were harassed. Uh, They were told it was going to be vetoed. So in order to not be harassed anymore, they withdrew it. And uh, to to show uh, to sort of bring it all on home at the University of Toronto, the graduate student uh, graduate student Council or whatever it's called, um, which had been ordered by the student ju- judiciary to uh, retract a BDS resolution, um, decided simply to ignore it, and they, they upheld this resolution. There's not an IRA-specific uh, uh, IRA issue, but it simply goes to illustrate that um, student resolutions are worth nothing, in my opinion and student uh, in in both directions and that uh, neutering IRA is is now the is is going to be the trend and that students who claim to be to be uh, made unsafe by IRA because it deprives them of the ability to uh, use certain kinds of language like calls called um, Israel and Jews Nazis and uh, is very much the trend. And in this sense, it fits in with the larger um, phenomenon that we're experiencing that uh, claims of actual harm caused by language and caused by face to face communication are very much now standard uh, standard features of university life and Uh, political life and the commercial political life of uh, the the intersection between politics and, and um, corporatism in, in this country, and that uh, when feelings go up against facts, facts are always going to lose. And this has been the experience of of everyone who has opposed anti-Semitism and the BDS movement over the last twenty years, for one thing, and it also and uh, and I'm going to leave it here because uh, I want to leave time for questions. It, it also feeds into um, this this notion of of actual harm. So uh, that <clears throat> at uh, various institutions, particularly in the last year, because. Um, student government, and all education is done by Zoom, unfortunately, Um, it has, it has allowed students to avoid um, face to face confrontation, and face to face debate, and that SJPs in particular have adopted a tactic of claiming that anonymity is their only hope of of uh, to prevent being harassed by uh the zionist machine and the canary mission and all sorts of terrible people that they're unwilling to to use their faces and and their own names to stand by their principles and um and everybody else is supposed to respect this and take it at face value because actual harm to well-being claims of actual harm to well-being simply can't be can't be debated and um, And this is a terrible position, I think, that we're in as a society. Um, And I'll conclude only by saying that this is a very, very real issue, real phenomenon that that has escaped the uh, petri dish of academia long ago and is now is now everywhere that uh, that feelings are unassailable and um, evidence evidence be damned. And um, I don't know how to put, put the genie back in the bottle. We need more resilient people, for one thing, on all sides, on on our side, so to speak, and certainly on, on their side. And um, I don't know how to do that. So with that, let me um, shut up and take some questions.
1: Great. <clears throat> Thank you, Alex. As always, uh, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, so the floor is now open. Uh, we'll take questions. Uh, we have a few, but uh, let me just start us off. I think, Alex. Uh, I guess my first question would be the one—the um, one thing uh, you started to touch on, but maybe I think you want to maybe expand on, uh, given the fact that obviously a lot of our people are uh, within the campus environment, uh, and you spoke about the student resolutions. How does all of this tie into um, Title Six? We've spoken about Title Six here on our. Shows uh, you know over the over the years uh, in with uh, the upholding of, of Jews and, and defining Jews as minorities and anti-Semitism, uh, are, are you seeing this um, as a detractor as a as a political move here? Obviously, you know there is still the question you know that happened under the Trump administration, the fact that Title Six, of course. Um, what's added to the toolbox via an executive order. There is no guarantee that, that will continue now. Uh maybe you want to touch a little bit about, on that as it relates to uh these uh ongoing uh petri dishes of definitions of anti-Semitism.
0: Well I, I I will, I would, but I have to say that it's it's still very unclear what the Biden administration is is doing in the education department and maybe some of our um, our listeners are are in a better position to uh, explain these things than than i am so far uh, just just to recap the the trump administration um, through the office of civil rights at the department of education had extended specific um, protections to jewish students as uh, essentially as as a minority Uh, and and it named them. And there were a few a few cases that we know of that were filed in what is a time-consuming process about harassment and primarily about harassment and intimidation of Jewish students. The Education Department was instructed to use IRA as a guideline, not as a sole criterion, not as a litmus test of any sort uh, in determining whether anti-Semitic, an an anti-Semitic incident or what have you um, uh, took place. So far as I know, or at this point, um, those cases are still, the cases that were filed are still active, but there's been a tremendous quiet that's come out of the Office of Civil Rights and and the Education Department as a whole. The Education Department under the new uh, budget is going to get, I think, a gazillion dollars is the exact figure. But um, there's not much information that's that's out there. As opposed to persistent rumors regarding Title IX and reversing um, a number of the protections that had been Specifically extended by uh, during the Trump administration regarding um, um, procedural issues and uh, uh, what's the what's the phrase you know especially right to cross examine and right to counsel that were going to be demanded of of sexual harassment and sexual assault cases undertaken by colleges and, and universities. So I think the short answer uh, to the long answer to the short question is that uh, I don't really know yet. And it remains to be seen. It's a touchy, it's obviously a touchy issue. And I'm 100% certain that there is political jockeying and pressure going on behind the scenes in in both directions. But the, the profile of the Office of Civil Rights isn't what it was under um under the previous administration and uh it it remains it remains to be seen so and i hope somebody out there can can enlighten us more
1: great thank you uh okay so let's go to the questions so we can uh do our best to get to all our um uh, all the, the the questions that we have here so uh our friend steve GERSOFF uh is asking uh, how is the the political and public relations aspect of this New Jerusalem uh, definition of anti-Semitism any different uh, than what he calls the invention of the quote unquote new 1960s Cairo Declaration of Human Rights under Islam? And um, and then he continues on to uh, deal with the nineteen forty eight UN UN Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Uh, so that you know, and and that was that was related to, of course, you know uh you know the islamist and and taking seriously what they refer to the cairo declaration so he ends up by saying you know in this debate uh you know the legitimacy of all of this uh, maybe you want to you know talk a little bit about that if possible
0: well look on on the one hand on the one hand i'll be a little bit f- glib and I'll, I'll say what I will say, what I always say is that you can never be too rich or too cynical. And that one would be at a certain level hard pressed to take any of this, any of this seriously, uh, because intellectuals um, writing things is is what they do. And the the impacts on the real world are, are always much more limited. Than intellectuals are, are aiming for. Uh, on the other hand, um, I think these are the kinds of things that we do have to take quite seriously, and that all, offering alternate definitions for, as the example uh cited, uh, human rights is uh and, and in this particular case, now we have not one, but two, but three definitions of, of anti-Semitism. I, I think we have to take these things seriously because they, on the one they reflect uh, current intellectual and social currents. And it's always important to have a grip on, on what's going on. And And I think most importantly, above all, because they do, or they can, sooner or later, have institutional sorts of uh, sorts of impacts. Now, I, um, I don't anticipate in the near future, really, uh, this Nexus document or the Jerusalem Declaration um, being proposed instead of. The IRA definition in an institutional setting at a college or university, or at, at a state level, there have been a couple of u s states that have adopted it. I do expect in fairly short order that these alternative definitions will complicate political debate because they 're intended to complicate political debate not not on a and not on a good faith basis, I think they 're intended to trip up. Uh, and neuter Ira and um, pull the legs out from from under it, in particular by by having the example or or the the fact that Jewish intellectuals are opposed to these things. If why should why should we the state legislator uh, state state legislature of this state or the student government of that university be more concerned about anti Semitism. If, if you have intellectual Jews who are uh, attuned to progress to progressive kinds of rhetoric and nuance, um, if, if they're, if they're making these qualifications, then maybe we should make these qualifications. If we don't make these qualifications, then maybe we're following some kind of old fuddy duddy um, and dare I say it um white definition of of anti-semitism that is bracket obviously designed to shut down free speech and free debate over israel and and so on and so on and then yes anti-semitism is terrible but insert long list of qualifications here so i don't think that i don't think that the jerusalem declaration is going to be adopted anywhere i think it's just going to screw up IRA, the same way that um, that, you know, various uh, Islamic and and communist kinds of declarations regarding human rights impeded um, the expansion of that notion in the 1950s. And particular and through the 1980s, really. And that when when universalist definitions just to speak of human rights, uh, were adopted. The the existence of of alternatives, um, tendentious and uh, bad faith, uh, founded as as they were, uh, prevented prevented the spread of of more good faith. Bad money drives out good money. I think is is the bottom line, and I think that that is is what we're seeing. And and in fact I think that's exactly what we're seeing because colleges and universities are having these having these debates and uh they're taking out Israel related clauses because it causes actual harm to the well-being of of Muslim Palestinian and leftist students. It it actually causes them pain in this in this paradigm new paradigm and we can't have we can't have that and and this will these new declarations will provide intellectual validation for um, neutering ira and um, so we move on to we will have to move on to another approach uh,
1: ultimately so great thank you Uh, and that's a good segue actually to uh, to to, um, our friend uh, Robbie Friedman's comment He's highlighting here in his comment that, uh, of course, that the IRA definition has been formulated as a wide-based democratic process, NGO, civil society, over a course of 15 years. Um, and it's, you know, obviously worth noting that, you know, now I think it's over 30 countries, uh, you know, have adopted the IRA definition, you know, within this process uh, versus, um you know, uh, the, you know, and thus, you know, obviously gaining international acceptance, uh, you know, and obviously next Jerusalem, uh, you know, did not, you know, the, the the did not come through that long process of definition of of, of trying to define and redefine where we are now. Um, so I think, you know, to, you know, obviously I agree with your point, you know, that, I, you know, probably will not cause uh, this dent, but it does, but it is there to, I think, you know to you know to trip and obviously you know uh, correctly you know to your point neutralize the declaration itself uh i think, it, I think uh, but I do think maybe you know maybe it is worth noting uh you know as it relates to uh, the connection of uh you know, anti-zionism anti israelism and anti-Semitism the, and the fact that the Europeans have bought into them understanding this to be correctly anti-Semitism uh i mean i think it it is worth noting to, to to point out that obviously what they're seeing in their european arenas uh is is clearly uh, much more um uh, dire or pronounced uh in european communities uh that you know that, that they have agreed on that i mean maybe you want to touch on that a little bit as well alex
0: well i think that's a i think that's a useful point that of look Europeans, your Europe has a different experience with antisemitism than Britain or the United States. And I, we don't have to um, articulate the the obvious in in those areas. And I think in in Europe, among and as always, you know, we're not talking about the men The woman in the street, we're talking about a rarefied stratum of intellectuals and um, politicians and and let's call them activists who are engaged with these kinds of issues. Who are very sensitive to European history of the 20th century and before Um, Britain doesn't exactly share that history and the United States doesn't exactly share that history um with its specific kinds of terms and parameters and also and this is i think extremely important to to note uh, the 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 anglo-american concept of free speech is completely different from that of from that of europe and and everywhere else in in the world and europeans are extremely happy with limitations on free speech, um, and this is not to accuse um, or characterize Ira in those terms, uh, as uh, but I think in in general, in 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 the UK, in France, and Germany, you can go to jail for stuff that you for tweets that you that you tweet out because they incite hatred of a religious community or or something. And we can we can debate whether that's good or bad, but that's not how we do things in in the U.S. Certainly. And so I think that we have, you know, we have we have a situation where where Ira and and all these other definitions cut against, or at least let's say at a diagonal, against various national um, or, or regional traditions and as well as specific specific laws. If you go to an uh, an organization like FIRE, which is very much um, free, it's all about free speech, um, they're very much opposed to, to IRA in the American context, the American academic context in particular. Now, I think that that's based on a misunderstanding of what what the institutions are supposed to be doing with IRA. And again, I can't see any real evidence that institutions are using it to prohibit speech um, at all. Um, But at a time when every ethnic group, every religious group, every social group, every social class, every um, way that you could slice and dice, uh, certainly American society is claiming um, protections for, for itself against hate speech, hateful hateful speech. Well, it's, I don't think it's a bad thing for, for Jews to be doing that and um, Jew and, and Israel as a component of Jewish identity for the vast number of Jews in the world, uh, including in America, uh, has to be, has to be fitted into, into that conception as well. Um, or you get left behind Um, and if you're deprived but if you're also also if you're intentionally deprived of that right well Jews don't need free speech because um, (laughs) to to use um, American Federation of Teachers President Randy Weingarten's rather um, unfortunate phrase from the other day because American Jews are a member of the ownership class then then they are um, somehow deprived of um, certain kinds of uh, protections, uh, civil rights protections uh, in this case. I think that that's that's wrong. And um, anyway, another question.
1: Great. Thank you. Um, So let's take uh, Linda Siegel's question here. And let me try to unmute Linda. Um, Linda, can you hear us? linda i'll try again I'll try to unmute linda uh, let's see if, uh, linda muted herself let me see if we can try one more time uh all right linda uh, if you can hear us uh we are trying to unmute you but if you can't you can type in your question we will try uh we will try to tackle that as well um let me go to uh uh another uh to Linda Schwartz's question. Um so Linda's making a comment here uh, that the that the, that the amount of focus on the definition of anti-Semitism, you know, it is a factor of how important the fighting of anti-Semitism is, but also reveals the double standards uh that play into uh you know uh, the the left all the accepting principles individuals expect you know and when it comes to Racism and authentic experience. Um, on the other hand, she's pointing out that uh, a definition shows that Jews can't be trusted to define anti-Semitism that they experience. Uh, and so, uh, and if you have, if you want to if you want to respond to those comments, Alex.
0: Well, um, I think that that gets at something um, pretty important that maybe I should have mentioned earlier. Earlier on, if, if you look at the Ira definition, uh, it. it I, you know, and I don't know all the ins and outs of its of its early, uh, of its genesis, but it seems to me that it reflects Natan Sharansky's 3D definition of antisemitism, um, you know, which is double standards, delegitimization, and demonization. And that if you see these three things or, or, or any of these components, then you're dealing with, with uh, antisemitism. And what these new definitions do is, is, I think, specifically remove some of those, some of those criteria that yes, um, certain kinds of demonization are okay, but others are are bad, but certain kinds are, are okay. Double standards are, uh, I think, out the window as part of, uh, uh, as part of this. So um, here, I'll go back to the Jerusalem. One. Um, in general, uh, the same norms of debate that apply to other states and to other conflicts over national self-determination um, apply in the case of Israel and Palestine. Thus, even if contentious, it is not anti-Semitic and in and of, in and of itself to compare Israel with, with other cases of settler colonialism or apartheid. And that that formula, um, which seems at first glance to be to be uh, sort of open minded um, sets, sets is in itself um, a double standard that uh, that if you compare it to these other cases of something that has a priori been defined as as an existential evil settler colonialism and apartheid then it's then it's okay that's but that and that's not a double standard except of course it is a double standard because you're applying it to these to these unique and predefined cases so i think that again the the legs of the chair have been system are being systematically knocked out by by these definitions and that Delegitimization is is bad, except that it's it's not so bad. De- demonization is bad, except it's, it's not so bad. It 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 gives they're they're, they're strangely indulgent, and and um, I don't know whether that's because they wanted to, the authors wanted to be respectful of other people's feelings in. In keeping with the 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 tenor of the times where if, if the worst thing is to be um, is to you know accuse somebody of uh, of using their feelings against you or that their feelings are stupid and bigoted and um, have no basis in in reality um or or whether all, again that these things are just kind of deliberately constructed uh in with a certain kind of uh with a certain kind of bad faith and i think that there the specificity um is that they 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 go into if this then that but not this then then it's okay is is one of the is one of the keys to that hints bad faith to me so
1: great thank you um you know this to tie into to, you know segue to you know to uh you know to your last points H- how does all of this and obviously you know uh you know we've been seeing and observing all of this as it relates to uh these uh these attempts to redefine and and, uh, and to play around with what anti-semitism is or what it's not uh into you know going back to uh you know our side of the atlantic ocean here um Feed into the count the cancel culture environment that we're dealing with today. I mean, and you know, and, and you start to talk about fire as it relates to their definition of free speech and how and how they see this. But uh, the larger environment of cancel culture obviously has become extremely pervasive. Uh, are you seeing this uh, growing together with this in tandem, in the connection to uh, you know? speakers coming to campus and debates and, and whatnot. Uh, and or as a way to circumvent uh, speakers that, you know, some campuses will find unacceptable to hear those kind of voice, uh, opinions.
0: Well, I, I, I think that's a, that's another very good point. Um, you know, you have to, you have to qualify it at this, at this particular time and, and note, there are no, there are no speakers coming to campus, really. Um, so right. the, the point is a it, it it's seemingly mute, but at a, I think that at a, a very real level, um, campus, you know, cancel culture and deplatforming on campus is is not a new thing, and it very much began with um, the the BDS movement in the first part of the twenty first century, and in fact, it kind of goes back in in the british context to the 1980s and 1990s and that deplatforming people who th- that you disagree with has has a a particular pedigree and then it's spread to anybody that you don't that you don't like whom you could uh label a racist on campus and this has obviously spread i don't even want to say exponentially what's beyond exponentially in in um american society and that uh you know you can where you can be um unpersoned for for a tweet um that is in wrongly interpreted or mis uh, or mis uh, spelled so to speak and um this, this kind of puritanical intolerance that is at the at the core of woke, wokeness, wokeness, you know, here's a term that nobody, nobody knew about um, a year ago, maybe you've heard about it six months ago. Well, that's the essence of this kind of weird cultural revolutionary moment that began on campus, and at which um, the BDS movement is very much um, at the at the core, institutionally at the core of, uh, you know, aligned deliberately marching in the streets with the Women's March with Black Lives Matter. Because Ferguson is the same as Palestine, because um, because uh, uh, ICE is the same as, as the IDF, and so on. You know, the, the The BDS movement has because it's fundamentally anti-semitic BDS movement displays this this um, fundamentally anti-semitic ability to graft and to morph onto uh, onto into align with any kind of uh, movement that seems to be gaining gaining traction. And I think that and that you know whiteness is again a phrase that had did not have um General purchase as of a year ago. You can go and, and look at the frequency of words that appear in newspapers on Google ngrams, and you'll see that these kinds of terms um, have exploded in the last year, two years, five years. Uh, and obviously, uh, and we've talked about this before on this, in these talks, and in the Monitor and other publications that uh, you know the the. Uh, the redefinition of Jews as white, and in in America, has been proceeding. Really, been proceeding in fits and starts since the late nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties rather. But now it's it's explicit, and that whiteness, which has its own kind of uh, you know morphing definition of. Of free-formed um, evil, it's it's Euro-American culture, its ownership culture, capitalism, uh, its its uh, traditional culture, as in the family. And if you look at the Black Lives Matter movement's original um, manifesto, it uh, calls for the, the dismantlement of the of the the nuclear family and all these kinds of uh, all these kinds of weird to our mind weird. but you know they're they're basically straight out of um, Marx and especially um, Frederick Engels that you know true liberation only comes when all um, all social structures like the family and all gender roles are are somehow abolished so and and not surprisingly since the time of Marx and through to the present Jews are caught up in the mix as um, as exemplars of of the the evil du jour. What's new I think is the speed and intensity uh, of that all this is moving and and um, the speed at which corporate America in particular has jumped on on the bandwagon and really that's I think exactly one year old. Um, and we saw it the other day that, you know, voting voting legislation in Georgia is now an object of condemnation by Koch and a hundred uh, CEOs, and and so on. And sooner or later, I think sooner by the summer, I'll I'll prognosticate a little that somehow this will have a particular Jewish aspect. To it, and that there will be calls. Well, I, there there have always been calls. That's what the the BDS movement is about. For corporations to um, boycott boycott Israel, and that uh, your your choices your virtue will, will be demonstrated as a as a corporate leader, as a socially responsible investor by how you uh, respond to the equally bad uh, situation of voting legislation in Georgia that um, standardized the polls being open from 7 AM to 7 PM and the situation in occupied um, Palestine. And I think that that's that's coming. And um, I don't know how to prepare for it at, at this point. So
1: well, thank you for that, Alex, and thank you as always for your remarks. Obviously there's gonna be to cheer uh,
0: everybody up as usual.
1: Right. Uh, well there's gonna be a lot to discuss a lot to deal with, uh, and a lot to uh a lot of work that would needs to be continued uh on, on all of these topics. But uh, you know, so again, I thank you for as always for your uh remarks and analysis, which is critical. Uh we will obviously Alex will be expanding on these in his written um upcoming, our upcoming BDS Monitor, uh, which will be expanding on a lot of these matters uh, for a lot of extra reading and diving into these topics. uh, That is critical to understand where we're going and where we are now vis-a-vis the academy and American culture at large. Uh, So I'm really, on that note, I want to thank everybody uh, for joining us this afternoon. I apologize if we did not get to your questions. Uh, Again, if we did not get to them, please email us at bdsmonitor at spme.org. Uh, and we will do our best to respond in a timely fashion. Um, we hope everybody's staying safe and healthy. Uh, and of course, we will continue uh, these conversations. Actually, uh, our next uh, talk is going to be with uh, Professor uh, Bill Jacobson at Cornell, who will be discussing uh, and focusing in his remarks only on cancel culture and its ramifications in general in the academy. So uh, put, be on the lookout for that conversation. Uh, so, and I hope everybody is uh, staying healthy and getting vaccinated. Hopefully, I want to thank Alex as always for joining us, and we look forward to continuing the conversation.